From ESPN Films and ESPN Audio, you're listening to 30 for 30 Plus, presented by the Mini Countrymen. My name is Jody Avergan. This is our series of bonus podcasts in between seasons, conversations between me and filmmakers about some recent 30 for 30 films. A quick reminder that if you haven't listened to our first season of audio documentaries, you can find those at 30for30podcast.com slash season one. This week on 30 for 30 Plus, the story of perhaps the greatest high school football team of all time, their fall from grace and what it says about race, class and money in big time Texas sports. If you know anything about the 1988 Carter Cowboys, it may be because they were featured in the book and film Friday Night Lights as the trash-talking team that beats the heroes from Permian High School. But Carter's 1988 season is one that's full of its own twists and turns and worthy of its own rich story, and that story makes up the new film, What Carter Lost. Now, here's my conversation about the film with director Adam Hootnick. Dallas Carter, 1988. The team you don't remember from Friday Night Lights. When you that good and you are All-American, you could do anything. I started thinking I was bigger and beyond the law. This is a story that should have been just about football. To have it turn into what it turned into... Ah, it's, it's just so regrettable. It was heartbreaking. They'd thrown away everything that they did. Thank you, clear. So I thought we could start with actually Friday Night Lights, the movie. There's the book and then the movie. This story is not about Friday Night Lights, but Friday Night Lights plays a kind of pivotal element in this story. So do you want to describe kind of how Friday Night Lights serves as an entry point to telling the story of Carter? Sure. So in 1988, when Buzz Bissinger is embedded with the Odessa Permian team in West Texas following a season in the life of that team, they end up losing to this school from Dallas, this city school, Dallas Carter. When the movie Friday Night Lights comes out, Carter is, you know, mostly just treated as they're just an opponent for Permian. They end up beating Permian. Um, one of the things you see in in what Carter lost is the way that the the Hollywood version differs from what the reality was. Yeah. And and there are several notable ways. But this is the flip side of this story. And what Carter lost is the the team that won, you know, maybe the best high school football team of all time. This is their story, uh, the one you don't know from Friday Night Lights. Odessa Permian was right in the midst of its Friday Night Lights season, but they were going to have to deal with Carter, and Carter was definitely the acknowledged favorite. No one has been able to stop the Carter Cowboys. Jesse Armstead, Derek Evans, all Americans that attract attention. Dallas Carter, 1988, that was one of the great teams. The greatest high school team that has ever been assembled. Ever. A handoff is to Carlos Allen, right side, through a hole. Allen across midfield. So before we tell the story of Carter itself, sort of 
contextualize this in that moment in Texas football and particularly the racial dynamics that were emerging at the time and the city versus rural dynamics that, sure. were, that were emerging. Yeah, and I think it's 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 almost more a, a national football mm-hmm. dynamic. I mean, Friday Night Lights is kind of a, a cultural touchstone and and it's in a way that the legendary Texas cowboy comes to be replaced by the legendary Texas football player and and football becomes this new metaphor and so Permian is the hard scrabble oil town where you know the players aren't necessarily as physically gifted as others but uh, they have they have heart and so you have these regional powers um, that are you know often um, often white or or somewhat mixed but um, not usually certainly not city schools not inner city schools certainly not primarily African American and so the rise of Carter definitely um, gets attention. The way Carter came onto the scene, I think it was a little jarring to the structure of Texas football. Carter represented to many the ability of inner city schools to not only compete, but dominate suburban schools. I mean, that had never been done before. I don't think you'd ever had a city team ascendant and dominant, and you'd never had a black team that was ascendant and dominant um, in the way that Carter looked to be during during the course of that season. And, And by the way, historically, there have been very few teams with the speed and and sheer talent that Carter had. So you tell the story of the 1988 season and then the aftermath of that season, which we'll get to. Uh, but over the course of that season, there it's a rocky road. And in particular, there's a controversy over one key player's eligibility. The season itself wasn't a particularly rocky right, road. Right. It really, it is not until the eve of the playoffs that the road gets rocky. Oh, so are you implying that that's for a reason? I don't know that anything about what happens to Carter in that year has been proven with certainty. But I think the fact that an anonymous tip is made two days before mm-hmm. the playoffs are going to start, that certainly leads to conspiratorial thinking. Yeah. At six o'clock tonight, the Carter football team gathered for a playoff celebration, but there was nothing to celebrate. As a result of a TA audit of grades, we have been declared ineligible. This is a time that we must be together and strong. So the, the tip is about a player, Gary Edwards, and his algebra scores. And so then there's all sorts of intervention. And describe what happens next. There's an anonymous tip. Two investigators show up at Carter High School, and there is a fairly hasty conclusion drawn that he's ineligible. And then the parents um, realize that, A, their team's unexpectedly being kicked out of the playoffs. Tell me one thing. Why didn't they do this right after the six weeks? Right. Why did they wait until the night before the game? So that sets off a chain reaction, both of the parents saying, we're not going to accept this. And that sets off a further chain reaction of the surrounding communities, teams that have either, you know, either already were beaten by Carter or come to later be beaten by Carter taking uh, whatever actions they can, including through the legal system, to try to get Carter out of the playoffs. 
Plano and Grand Prairie school officials called a legal blitz. Their schools were beaten by Carter in earlier playoffs. So it turns into a huge legal and political and ultimately social and racial issue. All of these stereotypes came into play. My boys are thugs. They're not good academically. You can lose to another team like yourself, but you just can't fathom losing to a bunch of niggas from the city. And Carter has to go on their entire playoff run with their eligibility kind of in question and at every given moment kind of swinging back and forth. And they do manage to win a championship, but it must have just been a real mental test in a sense. Yeah, so every, every week throughout that playoffs, they would play a game, win it, but not know if they were going to be able to play again the following week. And there would be litigation throughout the week. So the coaches were constantly at court hearings or administrative hearings in Austin. And so the team barely practiced throughout yeah. the playoffs. I mean, that's one of the great achievements of the team uh, and its own cohesiveness and their talent level was they weren't practicing. They did have these huge mental obstacles of not knowing every week whether they were going to play or not. What was motivating the the parents and the team and the district was not simply trying to prove that they were the best football team, not simply trying to prove that they were the best football team in Texas that year, not simply trying to prove that they were you know potentially one of the best high school football teams ever, but trying to prove that they were something other than what so many other people in Texas were saying they were. And that's one of the most remarkable moments in the film is just the feeding frenzy that occurs when, you know, this eligibility comes into question. Did the star running back pass or fail algebra? Lately at Carter High School, more games have been played behind closed doors. What happens next is that the media goes crazy. With scorching articles and editorials. Were you surprised kind of looking back at that and re-researching this, how much people jumped on this? Um, I was surprised that it didn't appear for the most part that the media dug too much into trying to figure out what was going on academically. Though, again, in fairness, I've spent two and a half years looking at it. Carter students can score on the field, but in the classroom, it's fourth and long. It shouldn't have been that big a deal. One player flunks a course, but then everything blew up. Am I surprised that people were willing to very quickly conclude that Carter was a football factory, that academics weren't a priority, that, um, that you know, the only thing that these parents in this district cared about was winning football? I'm not surprised about that, but it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's too bad. Yeah. And, and it's one of the things that motivated me to do this film is just to, you know, I like these stories where you're looking at the way you see a story has a lot to do with what lens you're looking at it through. So on the racial element, I think, as is often the case when you see stories where, where, where race is a factor, it's about the kind of, like you said, the lens, the benefit of the doubt that someone brings to this. There was just no benefit of doubt from a lot of the media and from a lot of the opponents in judging this story. It kind of fit this tidy narrative and they ran with it. Yeah, I think that's right. At the same time, I think there was reason for skepticism. Mm -hmm. And I'll say it over and over. It was this is not an open and shut case. It was not clear what happened. But y y to your point, I think the benefit of the doubt wasn't there at all. And, you know, as as one of the, the journalists quoted in the film says, you know, in 20 or 30 years, where um, every single year, there are 
whispers and suspicions and questions about one team, but only Carter is the one that's treated differently. Yeah. Describe a little bit about the, the frenzy around this team and high school football in general in 1988 in Texas. Uh, you know, there's this scene where one of the players is in a hot tub signing his uh, decision papers to go to college and there's cameras everywhere. I mean, this was like real uh, attention paid to this high school football team, right? Yeah. So uh, this is a period in time when you have um, a, a middle class, upper middle class high school where there's a lot of bling to begin with and and people are having a good time and these are the the top dogs and um, these, they're getting attention across Dallas and their money's no good anywhere. You're walking through the mall and people are asking you for your autograph. Restaurants, comp your meal. We were 18-year-old movie stars. It made me feel like Superman or somebody. Everybody knows who they are. Everybody wants to be their friend and 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 life is free and largely without consequences. And so, you know, one of my favorite lines is a guy saying rules. Rules. They didn't apply to me. And that was that was the attitude. You talked about in this controversy, you know, one player who gets wrapped up in in these allegations, but it has an effect on the other 50 on the team. And that is a through line throughout. We'll get to the the next twist in the story, the next chapter in the story, but it really is about how the actions and the allegations that that affect just a few people have a massive impact for the team, the school, the family, the community. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why, to me, why it was so, so important to me that the parents be a presence in this film as, as well as the players. You could sense the outrage, but you could also sense the determination that those parents had to make certain that they supported their children. If we don't stand up and fight against what is for our kids, we will never, we will always be the underdog. This was the first generation, really, of uh, educated, empowered, African-American, middle-class Dallas residents who said, we don't have to take this lying down, that we don't have to sit by and be um, tarred by a stereotype. To be truthful with you, white Dallas didn't want to see a black school doing well. I faced all of that growing up. For these parents, there was a much bigger story, and what they were, what they were fighting for was a lot more than trying to keep their team in the playoffs. That wasn't, it wasn't a small thing, but it wasn't the only thing. Coming up after the break... Director Adam Hootnick discusses a series of incidents that undo everything the Carter community has fought for. They won the championship in December. Uh, a couple of months later in February, I remember stopping Derek and Gary in Derek's Camaro. I recognized them from television, and I congratulated them on winning the state championship and kind of gave them a little bit of advice just kind of warn them that, hey, you know, you guys were successful, but there are a lot of people that didn't agree with the fact that you guys got to play for the state championship and they're waiting for you to screw up. So don't give them that satisfaction. We used to get stopped for speeding like once a week. We never got a ticket. I mean, it's like you, you, you own the city as long as you were good. So 
Look, the story of Carter's uh, successful season and the way they had to, you know, were, lost their eligibility and got it reinstated just in time for the playoffs and then ended up winning would make a pretty good doc on its own. But of course, there's a, a subsequent chapter to this story and there's a reason that, that your film is called What Carter Lost, not What Carter Won. There are lots of details that we won't go into here and we encourage people to go watch the film. But, you know, just to, to lay it out there, in the weeks after the the championship, a number of players on the team are accused of a string of robberies. If there is a motive for these crimes other than thrills or money, police don't know it yet. My mother came to me, shaking me, waking me up. Just say, two quarter boys just went to jail for robbery. I got phone calls from my friends. Man, that was Gary and Derek. They got caught robbing. I'm like, stealing? What? And the next thing you know, it started trickling every other day with somebody else. How does that kind of affect the, the community? Well, so you have these parents in this community that really backs the team because they want to make a point about what they care about and who they are. And we are not cheaters and we are not thugs and we are not people who are one-dimensional and only think of our kids as as football players we have we have bigger aspirations than that and we do not want to take this lying down so that's that's about something much more than football and so when a small group of the players from that team go and behave in a way that absolutely conforms to some of those stereotypes and uh, negative, you know, ideas about the community, um, that's the real tragedy of, of this story. There were people who came to me and I didn't know that your son would do something like that. And I only could reply, I didn't know either. What kind of a Keith Campbell do you expect to come out of the Texas Department of Corrections? I'm scared. I don't know what prison is going to do to him. There was no question of whether or not these guys committed these crimes. Um, the question was, um, did the community deserve to be tarred with the reputation that, that resulted from this? And did the community bear any responsibility for what the players did and kind of what what were the long-term impacts of, of what happened. So where do you come down on that question of the community's responsibility for what these players did? When I started researching the film, my thought was, I, I thought this was a story about entitled football players being put on a pedestal by a community and, and in some way um, being stunted by that and not being able to learn to judge consequences and make good decisions because all they ever had to do is play football. And that that's definitely part of it. The experience of every week thinking that they weren't going to be able to play and then somehow they were rescued. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's definitely part of it. And at some level, individual and personal character was part of it. But you, th these, these were guys with parents who were, who were present and at home, they weren't, you know, latchkey kids most of them had cars they had nice clothes and this is before um before they had robbery proceeds to to buy them with so um for better or for worse uh this is this is a story with a lot of gray area in it and there are i don't know that there are firm conclusions to be drawn 
you know, as one of them says in the film, it's not like my mom and my coach weren't telling me all the time right and wrong. I, I, I knew what was right and what was wrong, but I kind of didn't think I needed to listen to anybody. Yeah. There is, of course, in the wake of this, the entire town and the entire, I guess, football program and the school gets painted. Um, well, there's this amazing montage where you just have a bunch of characters kind of talking about what the reaction they get when they tell people they went to Carter. Our legacy is it was a great team, but oh. You played at Carter? Oh. It's just that oh. Oh. Carter. We told you that's the way they were over there. Everyone's just like, oh, you went to Carter. And then it just brings all sorts of assumptions to, to bear. And people are still really living with the stigma of that, of that name, that association. Absolutely. And that's one of the, you know, again, I, I, there, are a lot of, um, there are a lot of gray areas in this story. Uh, much of the press that followed this story really focused on the robberies. And one of the guys in the, in the film says, you know, the guys who did the robberies, we got a lot more attention than any of the guys who didn't for the most part. Um, even the guys who went on to play pro football, even the guys who um, had had very successful life paths to follow. But yeah, this was the this was a stigma that really stuck to everybody. I can remember going down to Baylor, introducing myself to the guys, and one guy says, Carter High School, oh Lord, I better hide my couch, you're going to steal it. And so as much pride as you felt, for their success, you feel the same kind of sorrow for their failures. This film has real heart, and part of your going and attending to the community is the way you end the film by kind of bringing it to present day in a really emotional way, uh, you know, catching up with the community and, and, and seeing where a lot of these people's lives have brought them. What, was, that, was that something that you kind of knew you wanted to do from the beginning as a filmmaker, or was that something that evolved as you got to know these people? Yeah, absolutely. I, I knew um, when I started, I wasn't exactly sure what the structure of the story would be, but I knew that it was important not just to tell the story of the events and mm -hmm. decisions at the time, but to look at what were, what were their implications. Um, so I think the... The end really is a way of um, showing you there There was, you know, the title is What Carter Lost, and there was a lot lost. There are guys who you see, and there is a, uh, a real um, melancholy, and there's a real bittersweetness to many of them who know for anyone to lose those years of, of your life, you know, your, your late teens, early 20s, is a huge cost, and and none of these guys has ever gotten in any trouble again since. And I, so I think, but for this one very serious set of mistakes, these are guys who are not bad people. And in a sense, you see their lives have, have carried on and you see where they are today, but you also have a sense of a real regret in, in some of them that they really wish they knew how things would have turned out if, if they hadn't done what they did. It registered for me at, at that moment that, man, you've done something that not only has affected you, it's affected people that you don't even know. The detective said, 
because of who your father is, we're going to do our best to get you probation. I didn't have jail bars as my prison. My prison was guilt. My prison prison was shame. Uh, my prison was uh, the disappointment that I caused my family. And so it took a lot of years to get over that. As we've been saying, there's a real restraint in this in this film, all of your films, where you just kind of want to go and live in the gray areas and the nuance. But did, did you think at all about, in this story with Carter, about justice? Did you ever kind of, do you ever think about what would count today, all these years later, as justice, if that's even possible? Absolutely, I thought about justice. There was an injustice done to the Carter community by Friday Night Lights treating the team as an inner-city gang thug villainous, uh, cheating crew of players when Carter as a community really suffered for for a long time as a result of being portrayed in this way. And, and, and these were a group of parents. The irony is these parents were very involved in their community well before the football team's chance at a championship was at stake. And I don't think anybody's ever really told that story. Adam Hootnick is the director of the new film, What Carter Lost. You can watch the full film right now in iTunes or in the ESPN app. We've included a link for that in the show description. Just click and you can start watching right now. And again, if you haven't heard our podcast documentaries, you can find them at 30for30podcast.com slash season one or by clicking on the link also in the show description. My name is Jody Avergan. This episode was produced by Ryan Nantel with help from Kate McAuliffe and engineering by Ryan Ross-Smith. We got production help from Jenna Anthony, Colin Fleming, Taylor Barfield, Alex Bowen, Tony Chow, and Adam Newhouse. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon with more 30 for 30+. Plus.